Amen. Well, good morning and welcome back to church. So glad you guys are here today as we continue to uh, walk through and teach through and study uh, the first part of the book of Acts. I'm excited about today's message uh, because it's one of those, you know, um, it's one of those great reminders of of the church and the things that they were starting to experience, specifically the early Christians. But before we get into today's uh, text, I want to ask you to think about Uh, not necessarily in a hypothetical sense, but in just looking back, reviewing, think about a time in your life, maybe an experience you've had, um, where you felt, uh, and I'm going to list a lot of words that kind of describe this, uh, you felt put on the spot. Uh, Maybe you felt attacked, or you felt blamed for something. Um, You were called in to, uh, to give an account or a record of what you did and why you did it. You're asked to justify uh, your actions or your behavior. Think about something like that. Or maybe think about, um, if it's hard for you to come up with something like that, not for me, I have a lot of those. Um, Maybe think about a conversation that you had, that the buildup to the conversation was, was, you know, overwhelming at times. Like you knew you had to talk about something, but you really didn't want to talk about something. Uh, and maybe somebody else brought it up and they op- opened the conversation like, okay, here we go. I guess we're going to talk about this. Um, think about an experience like that. And think about the emotions that you experienced as living through something like that. What is it that you felt? What is it that was racing through your mind? Your, was your heart kind of racing at times? Mine certainly does in spots like that. And, and then after that experience was over. Immediately following that experience, the, the conversation ended, the, the argument came to an end, um, you know, you were, you were done, you were like dismissed or whatever that, that looked like. Who was the first person you turned to or where did you go like immediately after that? Or if you're thinking about this in a hypothetical sense, if you were put on, uh, you know, if somebody put you on the spot, somebody's asking you questions, tough questions, questions that you didn't feel prepared to answer maybe, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is all crazy, and you got done with it, who's the first person you would call? Or where would you hop in your car to go? What is that thing that you would do? Uh, quick confession, uh, I love confrontation and debate, all right? So uh, I, I, I thrive on things like that, it's fun. Uh, so much so that I got into a Twitter war this week um, with some crazy Spurs fans who happened to think Tim Duncan was better than Akeem Olajuwon. And uh, if that's your opinion, hold it to yourself or read my Twitter because you are wrong. Um, I love the back and forth. I love the mental exercise that is debate and argument. Uh, I don't like mean-spirited argument, but, you know, when you, you get the blood going and stuff like that, I certainly consider myself one that can rise to the occasion, all right? Um, but in that, I, I don't necessarily always love the feeling that I experience right after that. I, I don't necessarily like um, the thoughts that are running through my mind or the things that I'm feeling immediately after I've had one of these kinds of back and forth conversations. I'm, I'm always, there's these thoughts running through my mind, things like, uh, how did I act? Did I say the right things? Did I, did I say them kindly? Um, what exactly did I say? You know, was I caught up in the moment? Did, did they mean what they said about me? Did I really say what I think I just said? Do they still like me? I mean, all these things kind of run through my mind. And I think if you're honest, I'm not the only one that experiences this sort of kind of heart racing, second guessing, immediately following the moment of, of feeling kind of this, this opposition in a situation like that. Um, you know, in a moment like that, uh, I typically immediately turn to to want to go see Christina or my kids or or call one of my best friends 
And the reason I do that is because uh, they've seen me uh, through everything. They know the good, bad, and the ugly, and they choose to love me, right? And so I go back to them, and I'm like, man, I feel terrible. I, I said some things I shouldn't have said, and, and they encourage me, and they encourage me all in the right ways to say, hey, Nathan, you're, you're still okay. Like, you, you should apologize. It's going to be okay. Uh, they remind me that maybe some of the things that were said to me or about me aren't true. They're like, no, Nathan, we know you better than they know you. What they just said isn't, isn't actually true about you at all. And as I was reading the, the text that we're about to read this morning, I, I was encouraged to know um, that the early church was not much different than you or I in that. That when we feel attacked, when we feel put on the spot, maybe after we've had one of these arguments or these conversations, whether it was lighthearted or mean-spirited, um, there's this this beautiful peace that comes by going back to the people that you know, know you, and love you. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's read the second kind of part of Acts chapter 4 today. Remember, Peter and John were just put in front of the Sanhedrin. They were called into question for why they healed a man, why they were preaching in the name of Jesus. They gave an account, and they were dismissed with the warning, don't do it anymore, right? And this is exactly what Luke says happened next. It says, after they were released, they went to their own people and they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. <clears throat> when they, that's the group, heard this, they raised their voices together to God and they said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the palace, where, or the place, I'm sorry, where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So here we have this kind of report of what Peter and John did after facing the firing squad of the Sanhedrin. They had the Pharisees, the chief priests, uh, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees were there, and they're all firing these questions. Why are you healing in the name of Jesus? Why are you preaching in the name of Jesus? You shouldn't be doing this anymore. And Peter and John gave a, a beautiful response to them. They accounted for their actions saying, listen, if you had seen what we've seen, if you'd experienced the resurrection of Jesus the same way we experienced the resurrection of Jesus, you couldn't help but speak the things that you had uh, seen and experienced for yourself. And so they were dismissed with this warning of don't talk about it anymore. And they immediately went back to the church, back to their people uh, and had an old fashioned prayer meeting is essentially what we just read. And so as we read through this kind of verse by verse, I wanna point out just a few things. And then I'm gonna ask you a question um, that allows maybe yourself to be placed into the situation Peter and John were in, in that moment. So you can see yourself in the story. And then we're gonna pray because I think we see the story happening in our world today. But let's start by walking through this again, starting in verse 23 of chapter four. It said, after they were released, remember they is Peter and John, then they went to their own people, it said. Now I want you to consider this phrase for a second. And I wanna ask you a question, who are your own people? 
Like when I think of that who their own people are, that, that phrase has been used in a variety of ways. But what it did not mean to them was anything to do with ethnicity, anything to do with occupation, anything to do with where they lived, or any other typical descriptive word uh, or, or category that you and I typically consider our own people, right? That, that phrase has typically been used in a disparaging way, like you should stick to your own people, go back to your own people, right? But in that way, Peter and John saw their own people, quite frankly, as the church, it was the people who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The other believers, believers from all over that area who had come for Pentecost, stuck around because of the languages that had been spoken and the signs and the wonders that they had seen. And Peter and John went back to their church family because their church family had been the peop- become the people that were their people, that they were doing life with. And so it's important to be with your own people. We also see that there's, this is an example of the kind of unity that they were building. So there's this common prayer, as we see in the next verse, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together. Uh, Maybe even a better translation of this Greek phrase was with one voice they said. With one voice they prayed. It it kind of expresses and, and kind of encompasses this idea that they were unified in what they were praying. There wasn't like, well, we should pray for this. We should pray for this. No, we're all in one accord. We agree. We're moving in the same direction. We've been given the same mission, the same purpose, and we're going to pray together for this one thing. And so you have this unity that's being built, that's being expressed by the fact that they're with their own people and they're praying together, right? And this reminds me specifically of the importance of the gathering. And what I think is God's purpose for the gathering of, of believers, all right? That's what we typically in America do on Sunday mornings. That's what you're a part of right now, the gathering of God's people. And some of you are in this room and you don't consider yourself a Christian, and that's great because if there's a church in the city that I want to be great, at your experience as a non-believer, I would hope that it's Grace City. I hope that this would be a place where you feel comfortable to bring all your doubts, all your questions, all everything, everything that you deny and think we're crazy about, but you feel welcome and you feel like this is a place where you want to at least reconsider some of those things in a safe place, in a place where people are going to love you in spite of that. And so, but the gathering has always been for for kind of God's people to get together and encourage one another and experience things together. And what they're experiencing here is they're starting to experience friendship. They're starting to experience encouragement for one another. They're starting to experience their needs being provided. All the things that we read about at the end of Acts chapter 2. And it reminded me of a passage in Hebrews chapter 10 where the author of Hebrews wrote this about the gathering. He was writing, he said, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching, right? Like my dream for Grace City would be that the things that the early church experienced when they devoted and gathered themselves together would be the same things that you start to experience. That you show up on a Sunday morning and it's more than just getting a great worship set and maybe a good message out of it and the opportunity to take communion, but that you would show up and you would consider this to be your own people that you would start to experience friendship and encouragement and your needs provided for by by people that choose to gather in this place together. You know, I don't think it was um, a coincidence that the early church devoted themselves to meeting together regularly, as we read in Acts chapter 2, and they started to experience these things. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that when we gather together, we do it because we're considering one another. 
that the attendance of a church service isn't actually about your experience at all. That you might actually come to be encouraged and equipped, yes, and to hear a great uh, message and to sing and be able to pour your heart out in worship, but that your presence here might be for the benefit of someone else who is here that you haven't met yet. That you would wake up on a Sunday morning and rather than asking yourself the question, do I want to go to church today? Maybe your question could become, if I were to show up to church today, who else might benefit from my presence there? How could I bless the life of someone else? How could I encourage someone else? In fact, if you keep reading, it says, let's consider one another, other people in the room, in order to provoke love and good works. That when we show up here, we're actually provoking one another to be more loving, to show good works, that we leave here refreshed and recharged to go and live in our lives in very practical and meaningful ways that draw maybe attention to us, but that we can quickly deflect to Jesus so that we live our lives being the hands and feet of Christ and other people come to know Jesus without ever having to even attend a church service like this for themselves. They experience Jesus because they experience you living out the purpose that Jesus has called you to do. And so you put the first century kind of first church experience of them gathering together and then praying for one another and they're being in one accord with what the writer of Hebrews has to say here. And what we see is that we encourage one another and we continue doing that all the more as we see the day approaching, specifically as the days continue to become more chaotic and more crazy and the world around us continues to fall apart, even though we know the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, my dream. My dream would be, and this, don't let me get preachy on you here. This isn't like a, my dream would be that your experience at Grace City would be so compelling because you start to experience some of the things that the church was designed to help you experience, that you would do everything you could to be at church every week. I, I, I never want to use guilt as like, well, you know, you really should be in church every week. Like that's, that's a terrible motivator for pretty much everything in life. You know, it's a great motivator, a really great, compelling experience. It's like when you go and like you go to a, a, a restaurant and you have a, a great meal and you were treated kindly by everybody, you, like you can't wait to tell somebody else and usually invite them to go back. Or you go to like a, a sports game and you have the euphoria of your best, your, your favorite team winning the game. It's like, man, I'm going to save up so I can go to that game again next year. It's always a better motive to, to think about the positive experiences. That's what the church was designed to do, to provide experiences where you can give life to someone else, encourage someone else, embolden someone else to live their life, provoke them to good works and acts of love. In verse 25, I don't want to miss this. When they started their prayer, it said they raised their voices together to God and they said, this is how they started their prayer. They didn't start their prayer with Lord. They didn't start their prayer with Father, and this isn't just some Bible translation thing going, oh, I wonder what other word in the thesaurus we can put out there. This is actually a Greek, the translation of the Greek word. It's a different word than is commonly used throughout the New Testament in prayer. This particular word, I think it's despotes or something like that. I, I butchered that, so you should go talk to somebody who speaks Greek better than I do. Uh, I know how it's spelled, but the way it's translated here, that word is more commonly used with like a slave owner or a ruler, one whose authority cannot be questioned, where you don't dare question the authority or, or, or challenge the authority of the one that you're addressing. And so in starting their prayer with master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth. They're simply saying, God, we just want to let you know, we recognize who it is that we're praying to. You're the one that has authority over everything. And so what we're about to ask you is perfectly within your power, within your control, and within your sovereignty. You can do what we're going to ask you to do. I think it's a great reminder that every time we pray, we pray to the Lord, we pray to the Father, we, but we pray to the master of the universe. To the one who created everything is in charge of everything. As we continue reading in verse 25, this is what their prayer said. 
You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant. And then they quote Psalm 2. If you want to go read it for yourself, read it for yourself. Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. God, you said this. You told us this sort of thing was going to happen back in Psalm 2 when David wrote this down. And then their prayer says, let's talk about our experience right now. For in fact, right now in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the rulers, the kings, like they just said, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, both Jew and non-Jew, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. God, you told us it was going to happen. David wrote about this. This is what we're experiencing firsthand right now. Rulers, kings, Gentiles, people, even, even people within our own fold, people of Israel are plotting together and assembling in opposition against you and your Messiah. And then they ask God for something in prayer. They say, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing." And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The thing I love about this particular prayer, the, the, the request that they're making of God, and read it for yourself, is that not one single time do they say, Lord, keep us from getting hurt. God, keep us from being the target being placed on our back. God, protect us. They didn't use these catchphrases like traveling mercies and hedge of protection. You've probably heard those. You've been in church long enough, right? God put a hedge of protection. Is that a fence? I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. But what I do love, they didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for protection. In fact, look at what they asked for. They said, God, while you're doing your thing, while you stretch out your hand for healing, and while signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, while you're doing this, in fact, we want you to continue doing this, God, and we recognize that the target that's been placed on us and that, that spotlight that is now on this group of gathering and this movement of Christianity that is just budding in its early days, while the, while the target gets bigger, we want you to help us be even more bold. God, while the opposition and the persecution grows, we don't care about being protected. We don't want to be safe. We want to be faithful. We want to, we, we want to live this thing out. We want to be true to the call that you gave us back in Acts chapter 1, that we, would be your, that we would be your ministers and we would be storytellers, and that everywhere we go, in spite of the opposition we may face, we continue to speak out in the name of Jesus because the things we're experiencing are too great to keep to ourselves. That's what their prayer was. Their prayer was, God, keep doing what you're doing. And while that target increases, while that target grows, help us continue to maintain a confidence and a courage to live our lives and to speak your name as we go along. And then God's response was, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They felt it physically. They, there was a response there that they knew God had heard. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God boldly. We've talked about that word boldly. But specifically, boldly, right? That's just kind of this free and fearless confidence to be bold about something. You know what that's all about. But in the Bible, when you couple boldness and the phrase with boldness with speech, what you're really talking about is the kind of speech that is very clear, that's very Lucid, and that's out in the open, which means you're not holding anything back and you're not hiding anything. So when they are speaking it, the, the word of God boldly, it's quite saying that they're not holding anything back. 
right? There, there's, there's, there's no, no holding anything back. There's no restraints on what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not being careful to pick my words depending on who I'm around. It's like, I'm just going to be clear and out in the open, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to be confident, and I'm going to speak the word of the Lord and the things that he's done in my life. And that's what they experienced. And so as you think about this, you think about their experience, my question for you this morning is this. Where could you use a dose of boldness in your life? They prayed for boldness and God gave them boldness. Where could you use boldness in your life? This is a very personal question because every single one of us walk in here and we could probably use a little bit more confidence in different places in our life. But is there a particular area of life where you've been really saying, man, if I just had the courage to do it, I know what I would do. I just don't have the courage. I'm a wimp. You know, I mean, like you, you, you make excuses for yourself. You talk about it with friends. You're like, man, if I really had the confidence, this is what I would do. This morning, maybe it's time to start praying about it, that God would give you the confidence and the courage to do those things. That there might be an area of your life where you're lacking that, where a simple prayer to God might be the, the start of the Spirit filling you with the boldness you need to do the right thing. The right thing, even when the wrong thing is easier, or doing the right thing might, might make somebody upset, or it might, 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 might put a target on you. It might, might bring some opposition. Maybe your boldness is for sharing your faith. And I was encouraged this week to sit in a small group, and one of the guys in the small group just shared with the rest of his small group in a very organic way, hey, man, I just want to share that I, I, I shared my faith with one of my coworkers. It was so encouraging. So encouraging. He talked about how, you know, reading the book of Acts and just seeing the way they lived their life and, and the, the circumstances in his life were like, I'm not going to be here forever and all that kind of stuff. Like, this woman doesn't know Jesus. Like, I was looking for an opportunity. Something came up where I was telling a story and I was able to talk about Jesus. I was like, man, that's amazing. But the truth is, all of us know people that, like, if we're honest, like, we know we should talk to them about, like, what Jesus has done in our life. Not in any judgy way. Like, I don't want you to be like, hey, you know what you really need? A dose of Jesus, you know? Your life's a mess. Jesus could clean it up. I, I, that's, that's so disingenuous and wrong, you know? But, like, th what they did, what the, what the early Christians did, as best I can tell, is they just told the story of what Jesus had done in their life. They told the story of what they had seen Jesus do. Like, hey, listen, he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. I, I just want to tell you the story. And let me tell you what he's done with me. He gave me the ability to speak a foreign language. I didn't take any classes or do Rosetta Stone or nothing. I was just praying. And the next thing you know, I'm telling my story in this language I'd never learned. It's just what he's done in my life. Let me tell you what he's done in my marriage. Let me tell you what he's done in my relationship with my dad or with my friends or with my kids. That's what they were doing. It was very, it was very organic and very just personal. You know, they weren't preaching. They didn't have to go to seminary to do this. It was just them telling the record of their walk and their faith and their relationship with God. Maybe another question as we think about where you could use a dose of boldness in your life is what role does your church family play in helping you find that boldness? Who has come around you to pray with you that you might find boldness? Are you a part of a, a small group, a community group, a growth group? Do you have just a group of friends, a tribe, if you will? I don't mean that in the Mississippi College way. It means something different there. Maybe you do. I don't know. Okay. But like... Like, I was like, tribe, I don't know what that is. And everybody was like, oh, it's a fraternity, but not really. Um, but sort of. Um, who are the people that are around you that you can talk to and say, man, I really need the confidence to do the right thing. I really feel like I need to speak into a situation. I know when I say something, I'm going to get opposition. I'm going to get pushed back. But I, I just feel like I'm in this place at this time because God has said, you need to say it. So can you pray that I'll have an opportunity that when given that opportunity, I'll actually speak up. 
Because I think, I think that's part of the experience we're supposed to have with one another, that when you show up on a Sunday, you might leave with confidence that didn't come from anything I've said or anything that's been sung, but a conversation with somebody on the way in or the way out has given you a boldness that you didn't have when you showed up. And so this morning, I want to lead you through an experience. Uh, we're going to do this as, as a church together. We're going we're gonna to model what I just read in chapter 4, and that is I want us to pray together. I want us to pray with one voice, with one accord, which means we're going to have to be praying for the same thing. And as we do that, I'm actually going to invite Evan back up. He's going to play some music because awkward silence is awkward for a lot of you. Not for me. I could sit here silent with you all day. But, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put something up on the screen, and, and I want us to pray for that. And so I'm going to give you about 45 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, to just pray silently, out loud but quiet, um, for those things. And we're going to do two. I was going to do one, and then this week all sorts of crazy things have happened. I think it's appropriate to do two. But let me just, let me just introduce you the first thing that we're going to do this with. We're going to pray for boldness. And we're going to pray for boldness for ourselves, and we're going to pray for boldness for the people in the room. Okay? That, that we would have the courage and the confidence to do the right thing. I don't know what that means to you right now, but surely there's a situation in your life where doing the right thing might be doing the hard thing. And so you need the confidence and the courage to know that, that was, that's what God's calling you to do. And you can, in fact, do that. You can be obedient and do the right thing. So we're going to pray for boldness to do the right thing. We're going to pray for the boldness to be honest. Maybe it's saying the right thing. Maybe it's responding to something that you know, you know when you're honest, you're going to get some pushback. You know when you're honest, it might hurt somebody's feelings. And so in addition to praying for the boldness to be honest, we're also going to pray that God would give us gentleness and humility and grace in sharing that honesty. Or maybe... Maybe today you need boldness to share your faith. You know, I, I mentioned this in the, in the first service, and I'd be remiss to, to tell you, I, I think this is an interesting thing, but I think this can take a variety of ways. This, this is everything from sharing your testimony of how you became a Christian to sharing uh, the things that God is doing in your life right now to asking someone to how you can pray for them or maybe just inviting somebody to church or your small group or your next event as something where you know you're going to be around some of your own people. Um, one of my favorite guys to go to lunch with for all time is a man named Dr. Charles Wisdom. He's a pastor with the name Dr. Wisdom. It doesn't get any better than that. He was my pastor from the time I was in about the third grade uh, through college, and then he retired, and then he came back, and he's still working in ministry in a very part-time way. He's in his 80s, and uh, as I felt a call to ministry in college and then kind of walked that out through grad school and, and now I've been in full-time ministry for 17, 18 years, Dr. Wisdom and I have developed a different relationship than when I was an eight-year-old in his church. But he's my friend and he's my mentor and uh, he texts me from time to time and every so often, about twice a year, we try and get together for lunch. And one of my favorite things, oh man, one of my favorite things about Dr. Wisdom is we never have lunch without him asking our waiter or waitress how he can pray for them. And let me tell you, it's not awkward at all. Sharing your faith can be awkward, especially if you don't do it a whole lot. But let me just tell you what Dr. Wisdom does. Maybe this is something that you can do. And it's something that my wife and I experienced last Sunday night as we were having dinner, like an opportunity to like talk to our waiter about something a little deeper than like, you know, what the special of the day is. Um, it was beautiful, but let me tell you what he does. He always, like, at the end of the meal, like, he always makes sure that he gets the person's name. So if they don't introduce themselves, like, hey, what's your name? And he introduces him and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, when they bring our check uh, before we argue over who's paying for it or whatever, he says, hey, listen, and he calls him by name. He says, my brother Nathan and I here, we love to pray. We think that it matters. We think it does stuff. Is there anything specific that we can pray for you about? That's it. 
And like, you should see, like, I, I've been so fortunate to be like the, the observer to this interaction, like so many times now that I just like look forward to it. Now I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. And like, there's just this like, oh, this guy's legit. Like he wants to pray for me. And the things, the things that these waiters and waitresses will share in that moment. And it's not preachy and he's not telling them they need Jesus to clean up their life. He just says, listen, my brother Nathan and I love to pray for people. We think that it matters. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Golly, it is, it is so refreshing and so beautiful. And I wonder if we became a church, a group of people, that every time we're out to dinner or out to lunch, we just ask the waiter or the waitress, how can we pray for you? What might happen? You know, I, it's, it, the funny thing is it's not awkward when you start doing it more and more, right? The first time you do it, it's going to be so weird. Like, you're going to go to lunch today. You're going to remember me saying this. Like, I'm going to try it. You're going to butcher it. It's going to be terrible, Okay. Do it anyway, do it anyway, because the next time it'll be better. But it takes a little bit of boldness. It takes a little bit of confidence to say, hey, you don't know me, but I like to pray for people and I think it matters. Is there anything specific that I can pray for you for? Because then they go, well, who do you pray to? Why do you pray? How have you experienced prayer? And it's like, oh, let's talk about this, right? Let's talk about it. But you're not asking them to have a full conversation. You're just asking them how you can pray for them. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. I want you to pray for these things. I'll close in prayer for this. And then we have one more, all right? 